We are in the second chapter of the book of Romans. It has nothing to do with Mother's Day, but it's my assigned passage. It has many, many things to do with all of us, really. We dealt with the absolute, there's three different sections that we look at. Actually, I'm going to add a fourth to that today, uh, hopefully, if, if we get to it. But there's three different sections in the end of, uh, or in the middle of chapter one, we have the absolute pagan. The individual who I'm sure you've run into. I know I have. You begin to share the gospel with them, and their first response is, well, I don't believe any of that. In other words, what they're basically saying is that that doesn't apply to me. It, it has no relevance to who I am. What they're trying to tell you is this, that they're not in the game. The game's been set up, all the pieces are out, and they decided, nah, not for me. The problem is, it's the game of life. Have you ever played that game? No, we did. It's a board game. You got a game of life, spindle thing. It's the game of life. And no one is exempt. Well, I just don't believe that, they say. And what they're basically saying is, uh, therefore, there, there, there really isn't any real truth. I say, well, that wall has pain on it. I know because I, I, I help paint it. They say, no, it doesn't. I say, yes, it does. I help paint it. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. It doesn't matter how many times you deny it. There is fact on that wall. There is absolute truth in what is being said. There is truth, and then there is a lie. And what, what the world says is, they say, basically, uh, I'm not playing that game. There is no truth. But they know there is. They find all the truth inside themselves. Oh, there's truth, all right. You want to sit down with them for a little while, and you're going to suddenly begin, and you want their opinion on this and their opinion on this and this political issue and this political issue. You're going to suddenly see the truth is just streaming out of them. Oh, there's truth, all right. But based on self, that's the absolute pagan. That's who we dealt with first. And some might come along and say, well, they're, they're innocent then because, you know, they, they, they really didn't understand what was going on. And, this, and, and the Lord says, no, they're guilty. They say creation is screaming out that there's a God. How on this earth can we not say by looking around us, that, you know, Luke plants trees. Does he create them? Luke went out and built trees. He made trees so he could save a lot of money that way. He builds the trees and then he plants them and then he charges the people. No one can build a tree. In other words, creation is screaming at us. There's a God. There's a God. And so the pagan goes without excuse. 
Then you have in chapter two, you have the moralist, and and that's the individual who kind of he kind of covers over his his guilt feelings and 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 all that churning inside of him, and, and he doesn't really feel any comfort whatsoever. But he covers it over by going and looking at other people. Well, but look at them. Oh. Look, look what he does. Now, you know what, Paul, you're right. Chapter one, those pagans, look what they do. Aren't they something? And so they covered over with sort of a, a, a moral facade, so to speak. It, waving the, the, the finger of judgment at everyone else and so that they, they, they never bring any attention to themselves. Paul says guilty. Today we have the Jew. Oh, they're, they're sort of the top of the food chain, you know. You have the absolute pagan, and he just lives for the day and, and just does whatever he feels like. Whatever whatever is is guided by feelings, that's what he does. And you say, oh, well, they're condemned already, you know. And then you have the moralist, and all he does is swings the judgmental finger. And then you have the Jew. Well, do they have a special place? Well, according to Scripture, they do. Abraham was chosen, wasn't he? He's a father, it says, of a great nation, and indeed he was. So then, hmm, are they special? We're going to find out today. They're left with no excuse. When I was a young boy, I lived up in a place called Belleville, Illinois. And I know, it's a, but down here, um, if you want to enjoy yourself, you better like concrete. Because there's a lot of it. Concrete everywhere. Either that or asphalt, right? That's what you get down here. But as you drive north, Calvin knows this, you drive lower, you head up to Georgia, all of a sudden you see trees and trees and beautiful nature and, and all that. And, and, you know, my brother and I, when we were about 10 years old, um, what we really got into is hunting. <laughs> we were, I tell you what, we were big game hunters is what we were. We hunted sparrows. I mean, I always thought to myself, you know, you, I mean, we could go out and hunt squirrels, but <laughs> never going to get a squirrel. We can go out and hunt rabbits. You know, rabbits, they're, they're, there's a few up there. Forget it, man. You're never going to get a rabbit. But sparrows? We used to call them spatsies. And at certain times of the season in Belleville, Illinois, the trees would just be humming with them. And, and it would wake us up in the morning. Me and my brother would put on our hats, put on our coats, <laughs> put our guns over our shoulder. We're going to go out and get ourselves a spatsy today. Big time hunters, you know. Millions and millions of spatsies. How could you miss? Week after week after week after week. My dad would say, did you get one? No. You know, you know, sparrows are very quick. I don't know if you know, but they're quick. They're stinky. We could not get nothing. But one Saturday, I'll never forget it. One Saturday, you see. We both aimed our gun up in that tree. You didn't even have to aim at anything. I mean, there's so many of them. They're everywhere. Just shoot and hope, you know? We both shot and hope. I'm not sure who hit it. But we were both absolutely stunned. One tumbled out of the tree and hit the ground. We ran over to it like the big proud hunters we are. Big game hunters, you know. Yeah, we... Kind of looked over our little sparrow, and he was just flopping around on the ground. 
we had nailed one of his wings, you see. And suddenly, that big macho hunter in me looked down and thought, what in the world have I done? (laughs) That thing's doomed. His only defense was airborne, right? His only defense from critters was to be airborne. Now he was with one wing. One wing. And instead of a flyer, he's now a flopper. Destined for death. There wasn't much we could do. I never hunted again. I hope Caleb's not listening. He's a big-time hunter. He wonders why Dad doesn't go with him. Hey, come up with me. Come up with me in Alabama. We can, we can hunt. I'd be terrified. I'd hit one. What are you going to do then? I don't want to kill an animal. That's what this section's all about. Hunting sparrows? No. One-wing floppers. That's the nation of Israel. They only had one wing. In this case, it was heritage. Ah, they gave great, great confidence in their heritage, where I was born, to what family I was born in, even to identify the tribe that they were born in. It was a factor of pride. They said to God, Oh, but I'm born in the tribe of Judah. I'm Jewish. Let's read. Chapter 2 and verse 17. Indeed, you are called a Jew. Now, that gives you somewhat of a negative connotation, doesn't it? The word Jew is taken on somewhat of a negative connotation. But at its beginnings, there were people of Judah... And there was a huge pride factor in being called a Jew. You had a special place in the economy of God. And they felt that special place. And they, they identified it as, as, as being a ticket to ride, so to speak. E- even the, 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 uh, the, the, the priest would say, oh, but God will never damn a Jew. You see. That was one of the greatest sayings of the rabbis. You're in. You have your ticket to ride. Paul says, you're not in. Paul, you're you're, you're a negative ninny is what you are. You're just a negative ninny. Ever since chapter 1, chapter 2, now chapter 3, get off it, Paul. There's good in everyone. I could preach that message right here. And, and we'd start filling up the seats, wouldn't we? Whew. We might blow ourselves right out of the back of this place. There's good in you. You just have to find it and be able to identify it. And then that good in you is going to well up. And you're going to be good to other people. And they're going to be good to other people. And we're going to figure this whole thing out. Paul, there's none righteous, no, not one. Not even one, one group, one nationality. Somebody, somebody stand up. Paul says no one. 
Is he a negative ninny? Is he just beating on people and, and taking out that rod and smacking them up over the head and judgment, 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 and beating people down? You know, there's one preacher that says, I don't like to beat people down. I don't have a smile, by the way. I can't do that. I was going to bring some false teeth up and put it in my mouth. So you just see a big smile. I, I don't like to. There's good in people. They're really, it sickens me. It sickens me in my core. Because it's a false gospel. Paul says, there's none righteous. No, not one. It was the 1990s. His name was Bernie Madoff. Anybody remember that? I know you old people do. Yeah, Calvin, you remember? I'm not saying you're old, Calvin. You're not old. But I bet you remember him. He had a perfect name. Bernie Madoff. He burned people and made off with their money. That's what he did. It was called a Ponzi scheme. Oh, he was into the, the stock market for a little time in the very beginning. And, and, and he had uh, the margin of success. But he wasn't getting enough success to be able to satiate or satisfy all of his investors. So what he started doing, he would take money from Peter to pay Paul. And then he would find another Peter or another Paul, somebody with a bigger wallet. And then he would take money from them. And he, would do it, and, and he kept everybody kind of happy. And, and, and this thing rocked along for a little while. And, and he got extremely rich. Because South Florida, I don't know if you know, there's a lot of money down here. One person that got duped in that was my old boss, Norman Brayman. Yeah. He fell prey to Madoff, not in a big way. He's a multi-billionaire. It's kind of hard to kill a billionaire, but he did fall prey to Bernie Madoff. What if I would have gone to Norman Brayman, went right up in his office, walked right in his office, you know? I'm Aaron Rath, I work for you. I'm going to tell you something about Bernie Madoff. He's a scam artist is what he is. He's running a Ponzi scheme out of your wallet. Is it a hateful thing to say now? No, he went to jail. He died in jail. His son committed suicide. Is it a hateful thing to say now? It is not a hateful thing to tell the truth. And that's exactly what Paul was doing. He told him the truth. He let him know. He didn't candy coat it and, and, and make it look like, well, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't want to offend anybody. And it is hard. Listen, when you're witnessing, this is part of your witness. It's not easy. When I was very young, you know, they, they, they really pushed me to witness and, and everything. And I, and I, I'd go and I'd witness, but I didn't really understand all that there was as far as this soteriology out of the scriptures was. I really didn't understand the whole picture. All I understood was that Jesus Christ died for your sins. I said, Jesus Christ died for your sins. I said, well, I know that. They're no better than group number one or group number two. And now what I've done is deceived them into believing that they're on solid ground.
do more damage than good. But they, they believed in their heritage. They really did. Go, if you could, to John chapter 8, verse 31. <clears throat> they depended on their heritage. The saying was that went like this. Gentiles are fuel for the fires of hell. That's what they believe. That we Gentiles, and there may be some Jews in here, but they, they, what you are basically is you're just fuel for the fire of hell. God's original intention with the nation of Israel was that they be a witness to the whole world. They began that process, but then they became very, very haughty in what they had. Because what they had, they believed they possessed. And because they possessed it, they weren't willing to share it with anybody. And the witness went right out the window. And it's still out the window. Go get a Jew, if you want to, and, and have them tell about their faith. They say, whoa, 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 wait a second, wait a second. Are you a Jew? No. Well, then we don't have a whole lot to talk about. You see, you must be a Jew. John chapter 8 and verse number 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word and are my disciples indeed, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Ah, then answered him, we are Abraham's seed. We are Abraham's descendants and, and have never been in bondage to anyone. Lie, lie, lie. They were in bondage to Rome. They were in bondage to Greece. They were in bondage to the Medo-Persians. They were in bondage to the Babylonians. They were in bondage to the Egyptians. Right through their history, all they know was bondage. And that's what they said. Then answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. We have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, most assuredly, I say to you, whomever committeth sin is a slave to sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides in the house forever. You see that pride factor? Their heritage... You see that that was their first uh, leaning post, so to speak, and they would they would point at the 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 pagan and say, "Well, sure, justified, justified, condemnation, justified." They would even even point at the moralist who who wasn't Jewish, and they say, "Justified." Oh, but this is a covenant Jew. I am a covenant Jew. God shall never condemn a covenant Jew. The rabbis teach that. They teach it to this day. Then you have John the Baptist. I, I love John the Baptist. He's a very honest man. He doesn't play around with things. And Matthew chapter 3. Watch what he says. To these who put so much faith in their, in their heritage. John, uh, Matthew chapter 3 and verse number 7. It says this. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Oh, brood of vipers. I mean, listen, we could put that up on our thing out here. 
You know, hey, brood of vipers, come on in. Find out how you can be a, a real man of God. Not something you want to put out there. So John was very, very, he was very, very honest in, in the way he approached all things, calling them brood of vipers. Therefore, bear fruit worthy. Oh, oh then he says, oh, oh who, who warned you? Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruit worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourself, oh, we have Abraham. He's our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children of Abraham from these stones. And so you have all throughout this, this pride and heritage that they displayed, this unbelievable pride in heritage. Who were the Jews? Was there something special about the nation of Israel that God said, okay, look, from before the beginning of time, I have you picked out. Well, he did. We won't argue with that. But is there something special? You know, the, the Word of God makes it very clear that there is nothing really all that special about, about them. You couldn't distinguish them from any others who were created in the image of God. God makes that very clear. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 7, just for a moment. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. We're in trouble. It's okay. We'll make it. Deuteronomy chapter 7, and uh, starting at verse number 6, he says, uh, For you are holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the people on the face of the earth. So, so, so far, so far in our reading, uh, what is it about the Jews? The Jew says, yeah, well, tell me, identify it. You call me a special treasure. Why? Well, he goes on. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor chose you because you were more in number than any other people. For you were least. Of all people, but because listen these words, it's like it's like an outpouring of heaven. He loved them. Now, when someone loves me, I may have done some things that 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 produce that that result, that effect from some human being. You know, I might have been kind to them. I might make them breakfast. I might do this or do that. You know. But but in this case, what did they do? Nothing identified. In fact, this scripture is very clear in showing us that there's nothing special about these people other than the fact that God looked down from heaven, looked at that particular man named Abraham, and he said, I'm going to make you a great nation. I love you. You say, oh, it's because Abraham was a really, really good guy. And, and he was very loving, and, 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 and he was just a special kind of guy. You know, like Enoch. Well, Enoch was special. God made him special. But Abraham wasn't. He was an idol worshiper. He and his father, Terah, that, that's all they did. They were idol worshippers is what they were. That's all they knew. What does it say in, in, in the Ten Commandments concerning idol worship? God hates that. He detests that. Why would he take someone who is doing what God detests and say, Hup, I'm putting my finger on you. You're, you're the man. I want you to be the father of that chosen nation. 
where are we in that? I mean, oftentimes we say, well, we're, we're chosen to be saved and, and, and we're, we're, we're redeemed and, and God loves us. Well, it was because I, I walked in a pretty straight line when I was a little boy. And I, I, I cried over that sparrow. I said, man, I, I wish I wouldn't have shot him. I may not have even shot him. I'm still thinking, God, maybe it was my brother's gun that shot him. It wasn't, it wasn't my pellet. 177 caliber pellet gun. Man, this is tough stuff. That's what I went out there with. Maybe that is something that God looked down on and said, oh, he's a good guy. We'll save him. No such a thing. It all emanates from heaven. The power to save everything that gives God the right to save emanates from heaven. And it's up there right now in the form of the Son of the living God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he's ever interceding on our behalf. He's ever going to the Father on our behalf and saying, but Father, that's a child. I love him. He's a child. Ever Interceding. False security. That's what drove the Jew. Was false security. And also their knowledge. We see their knowledge as we read down just a little ways. They took great pride in their knowledge of the scriptures. What scriptures? Well, the Old Testament. Pretty significant, some of the things they did, though. They had their children sit down, and they would read it over and over and over. It was recited over and over, recited, 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 to the point where a really sharp young man would be able to memorize the whole thing. So there's no looking at them as far as their dedication to the Old Testament, to the scriptures, and say, well, marginalize that. That's no big thing. Oh, you go talk to a Jew. You go talk to a rabbi, you might get a big surprise. They know their Old Testament possibly better than we do. Definitely better than me, but maybe even you. They do know their scriptures. Here's what it says. Romans chapter um, um, th- uh, 2 and 19. And are confident. Uh, excuse me, verse 18. And know his will and approve the things that are excellent being instructed out of the law. There's that knowledge base that they really felt like they had it all together as far as uh, knowledge was concerned. Matthew 23, the, the Lord Jesus Christ went to the scribes. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Hypocrites. Sounds like John the Baptist. Pretty straightforward. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel the land and sea to win a proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell. Wow. Why? Because they were propagating a false gospel, and by it, they were giving people a false security. They were pushing onto these people the very things that gave them security, which were no security at all, and that's exactly what Paul's attacking. 
It's interesting it comes from a guy like Paul. A Pharisee, a Sadducee, this man, he was in the loop when he was young. He knew the Old Testament scriptures, and that's what baffled them so bad. If it had been a Gentile coming to them, they would have heard it like a barking dog. Because a Gentile is no more than a dog. They're no more than fuel for the fires of hell. It wouldn't have moved them. But here was a a rabbi. Here was a man with high standing, and they knew he was. Just by the way he used the Scriptures and handled the Scriptures, and he handled their own Scriptures to disprove their own security in what was eventually nothing. Their heritage, then their knowledge, then if they if they felt just a tinge of, of, of guilt about anything, what you can do is you can go up and teach it. That'll waylay the guilt just a bit. You tell others. Here's what it says. And are confident that you yourselves, in verse 19, you are you yourselves are guides to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? Do you say, do not commit adultery? Do you commit adultery? You know, it's amazing. It amazes me. This this always blew my mind. You know, meek and mild, loving, long-suffering, merciful, gracious Lord Jesus Christ. He was sent to this earth. He became a man. He became a human being just like us. He was sweating. He got dirty feet. He walked through this earth. All these things were exactly like us, you see. And so what you would have thought as he as he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, he, he brought himself down low, you would have thought that he would have addressed the law this way. Well, I know God said. I've heard this in the pulpit, by the way. I know God said, but... What he really meant was, and we kind of shave off the edges of all the laws. I know God said, don't commit adultery, but yeah, you know, (laughs) men are men, you know. I always hear that. I love that, you know. Oh, I'm a man, you know. They're almost proud of the fact that they have some side action. You got side action going to send you to hell, brother. That's what you got. Sound like a Baptist preacher or something. But it irritates me. Like, like, like there's something within you that has to have that side action. Give me a break. So the Lord Jesus Christ comes on the scene. He says, oh, you know, the Lord really didn't mean that. <laughs> Let's dummy it down a little bit. No, he dummied it up. He says, if you think about a woman with adulterous thoughts... It is as though you've created and done for yourself the very act. You're just as much a sinner in thinking about it as you are a sinner in doing it. Thou shalt not murder. Oh, they could say, well, I haven't murdered anybody. Nailed a sparrow, but I don't think it's going to go against my, my record. If you think, man, that guy, you know the Bible because it's his raka. It's saying, mm, you tense up inside and you get aggravated. 
you've committed murder. You see, he didn't come to, to, to loosen the noose. Loosen the noose, gonna make it a little bit more comfortable for you. He came to condemn in order that you might be saved. Listen, it's hard. It really is hard. And, 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 and I, I, I gotta go really quick. Let me just go to this one little section because I think this one little section really kind of sums it all up. And we're, we, we didn't get hardy very far at all. But Romans chapter 3 and verse 9, it says, What then? Are we better than they? Now, I want you to see something. Because I believe there's a possibility I could be wrong on this, and you could, you could argue with me on this is fine. This is not, I don't have any problem with that. This isn't something that's going to you know, change my standing with you or anything. But I believe there's four groups. The absolute pagan, the moralist, the Jew, or the covenant Jew, and then you and me that have taken the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. I think that's what he's talking about right here. Now listen to it in that vein. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all, he says. For we have previously charged both Jew and Greek. So he's going back to what he had already dealt with, the Jews and the Greeks, the non-Jew, is you know, the Gentiles, the dogs. And, and then he dealt with the Jews himself. We've dealt with the Jews and the Greeks that they are all under law. And then he goes about giving the final conclusion. Now, listen to this. You know, he, he does certain things that, that just blows my mind because he doesn't want any misunderstandings. He doesn't want anybody to come along and say, oh, I really I don't understand that. He didn't say that to me. What that scripture says to me is, I love that. The scripture ain't saying 14 different things. It's saying what it's saying. And that's what it's saying. So this is what he says. There is none righteous. Let's say it again. No, not one. There is none that understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. No, 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 no. Another Paul is saying, you're not going to miss screw this and mess this up and, and, and whip it around with your, your own thoughts and my own uh, little ideas about this kind of thing. I'm going to make sure you know there is none righteous. No, not one. Now, if we stop there, we're all condemned. We just, we just hosed in all the groups. If there's four, we're included in that fourth. We're in that too. We're all condemned. In chapter 5, and I know I'm taking someone's stuff, but does, I, I got to. I can't leave you there. I can't leave us condemned. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Oh, peace with God. Paul, you're not, you're not preaching much peace here. I don't see a whole lot of peace in that message. That's condemnation, condemnation, condemnation. You're telling me I'm under the wrath of God, is what you're saying. The wrath of the Almighty God. No, no, he says here. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's away from us. The responsibility of our salvation is not in us. It is on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's saying. Now, let's skip over to uh, verse 8. But God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ 
died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. Bad news, bad news, bad news, and bad news. Four times, I believe. Good news. Christ is on the work. Quit standing up and grabbing onto those big fat boots and pulling yourself up by those boots. And trying to walk through the slop of this whole thing of life without the Lord Jesus Christ, you are going to sink in the mire. Put your faith in the only one who is worthy to save us. Redeemed by his blood. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. This is not a downer book. This isn't all condemnation. Oh, it's got a beautiful ending. And it can be your beautiful ending. If you know not the Savior, it can be your beautiful ending. You put your faith and trust in Christ. And quit depending on yourself. Let's pray. Our God and our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the Word of God which instructs us. We're so thankful that that the truths ring out in it. We're not scared of the truths. We're not scared of the, the truth that I was born in sin and shaped in iniquity. And I was not only born in sin, but I practiced it and I was really good at it. But the Lord Jesus Christ... Look down on my filthiness, like filthy rags in his sight, that filthiness. And he said, I'm going to die for that human being. And I'm going to make him a trophy of grace. Oh, Father, that we all would be trophies of grace and put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen.